evening, happy Tuesday, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students. It's been actually a little bit of time since I've had to open the show, and I almost forgot what to say. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host today, my name is Yemin Chen, and with me is my fabulous co-host, Julia. Hey. How you doing, Julia? I'm very well, very well. Excellent. Not struck down by some sort of vile infection like so many I'm others. F- I'm uh, fighting it hard, but uh, I'm happy to be here tonight, of course. Awesome. Excellent. Always glad to have you. And so tonight we have, as our guest today, Sarah Simpson. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Hi. Hi. So to start things off, can you tell us a little about yourself? You're in geology? Earth sciences? Yep. I'm in earth sciences, and I am also in the collaborative planetary science program, so CPSX at Western. Okay, cool. And what, uh, you're in your PhD, you just started. Just started my PhD. Okay. And what is your area of research? So I, I'm a geologist, like I mentioned. Um, I study impact craters on Earth. Mm -hmm. um, And I specifically study uh, what are called impact generated hydrothermal systems. So I study um, how the impacts, uh, they create these hydrothermal systems so if you imagine all the heat and energy created by an impact sits in the surface of the earth for a long time, and if there's any water there, that heat can start to sort of circulate the water within certain areas of the crater. Um, and we're hoping to possibly find evidence for life on other planets in those areas of the crater. So okay. certain craters, not all, all right. of them, some of them. So studying craters here on earth to look for conditions where you might be able to find life on other places. Yes. Awesome, cool. Yep. Okay, so there was a lot of words just now, a lot of really science <laughs> yeah. words that I sort of maybe recognize. Sorry. Um, okay, no problem. So craters and stuff like that. Could you very quickly um, give us an idea of like what happens when a giant space rock um, you know, comes through the atmosphere and hits uh, like a part of our planet? Okay. Um, so giant space rocks are usually asteroids or comets. And when they're big enough, um, mm-hmm. when they enter the Earth's atmosphere, depending on what they're made of, sometimes they can actually strike the surface of the Earth and they create craters. So they can be pretty small. Um, we have, you know, on Earth, uh, you know, some that are like a couple of kilometers in diameter, maybe even a couple hundred meters, up to really, really big ones, almost 200 kilometers in size. So, oh, wow. Um, just depends on how big those meteorites are, um, what the surface is made of, how, uh, you know, generally what they're made of. The actual crater, or the um, meteorite itself, determines that as well. So, so what are they commonly made of? Most of them are asteroids. So um, asteroids are rocky bodies that are generally made of stone, um, a mixture of stone and iron. Um, Sometimes they're comets, but that's a little bit more difficult to determine. So comets are icy, like just basically dirty snowballs. (laughs) Nice. Um, Cool. So, yeah. And where do they come from, you know, besides just space? Outer space. (laughs) Just floating around in space. Yeah? Um, Well, actually, they do come from certain areas of our solar system. So one of those is the most common is the asteroid belt. That's between Mars Mm -hmm. and Jupiter. Um, and then sometimes most of the comets come from the outer solar system, what's called the Oort cloud, which okay. is beyond the uh, orbit of uh, Pluto, which isn't a planet anymore. Hi. But <laughs> too bad. Um, most of them come, comets come from really far out. And then every once in a while, they're drawn in. Um, so we discover new comets all the time, actually, because we can't really see them, the Oort cloud from here. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of them come from the asteroid belt. So a little bit closer than that area. Cool. 
Okay. And so when one of these asteroids or comets, you know, makes it down to Earth, hits the mm-hmm. ground, makes a like really big explosion. Yep. Yeah. And so you're saying it releases just a ton of energy. Yep. And it creates like conditions for geothermal type <laughs> water. Stuff? So yeah. So some yeah. of them. Do you remember in 2000? I think it was 2013. The meteorite in Russia that hit the news that big that streaked across the sky oh, and like yeah. exploded. Yeah. That one was pretty small. Um, okay. So sometimes they explode in the air. Smaller ones. And that one actually, I think they did find a chunk of that. But um, yeah. So they they sometimes hit the surface of the earth um, and there's so much energy some of them are pretty small mm-hmm. and they don't they might not make much of an impact um, but the really really big ones you know maybe wipe out the dinosaurs okay yeah <laughs> um, uh, and then some of them you know we don't they're not as the really really big ones aren't as common anymore um, so we don't hopefully well, we don't have to worry yeah. hopefully right there's another you know we're a little overdue but Hopefully okay. not. <laughs> well, I mean, people were voting for a giant meteor in 2016, right? Yeah. I know. That's where I, I voted. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So after like one of these big meteors or like asteroids, so on, um, hits the Earth, what happens sort of to the Earth? And, and these are the sites that you study, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so all of that heat, if you can imagine, mm-hmm. um, it sometimes completely vaporizes and melts the rock that it hits. So that heat's going to sit around for a while, and the rocks take a long time to cool. They can take millions mm-hmm. of years to cool. Um, so if there's millions any water, of years. millions of wow, years, okay. yes. Uh, depending, well, the really, really big ones, yeah. not not the smaller yeah. ones. But um, so all of that heat sitting around on the surface, um, and you imagine all that melted, fractured rock sitting mm-hmm. around as well. If you have water there, uh, like we have on Earth, we have a lot of water. Um, you can get hot water circulating within areas of the impact crater. Um, And that is where we've actually found, I think, about a third of craters on Earth have um, evidence for these environments where we've actually found evidence for bacterial communities. Um, So life in these craters. We we found craters on Earth in these environments that have preserved life. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, So sometimes they can kill off uh, like the, for example, the Chicxulub impact crater, yeah. the mm-hmm. dinosaur killer. So they're notorious for extinctions right. um, and destroying life, but actually they create favorable environments to host life. And we're hoping to explore, for example, the Curiosity rover mm-hmm. um, on Mars is currently looking at Gale Crater, um, which has evidence possibly for water and possibly other materials which may have been conducive, favorable for life to form. Okay, so you study craters on Earth and you study them for life from outer space or to (laughs) study the conditions that they occur under and then extrapolate that that might be happening in outer space. Yes, yeah, so I... I, That was actually two questions. Which one? Uh, Life from (laughs) outer space? It was like an either or. or. That's a double-barreled question. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, no, no. But, so, life from outer space. Yes, well, sort of. So I actually... I'm not a Mars expert. Um, I don't. I don't study life in outer space. I'm not an ast. Th- those are called astrobiologists. Okay. Um, I'm a geologist, and I study rocks and minerals. Yes. And I specifically um, study stable isotopes. Um, so I'm also, I'm also a geochemistry person mm-hmm. as well. And cool. there are certain um, minerals which can preserve evidence for life. 
So that's what I study. I look at these minerals in the hydrothermal systems, and the minerals can tell us a lot about the temperature um, that they formed at, you know, what the conditions were in these systems and these craters. And sometimes they can't actually preserve evidence for life as well. So that's what I do is I sort of um, look at these minerals that were formed in these craters by these by the hot water circulating and uh, the stable isotopes um, in those minerals can tell me about, you know, the salinity of the system, the temperature, um, possibly how long that system was around for. And sometimes bacteria, um, evidence for bacteria can be, you can find that in those minerals as well. Wow. Okay, so like evidence for life, um, what kind of evidence are you finding in these minerals (laughs) and rocks? So... um, one of the one element in particular, so stable isotopes, if you don't know much about them, um, you have different composites. So uh, a, an element has a, a mass to it. Right. Um, and elements also have different, I guess the best way to describe it would be different flavors. Elements have different flavors. Okay. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, um, so, for example, sulfur is one mineral that um, I study, and there are different flavors of sulfur mm-hmm. that can say you can tell by the flavor of the sulfur in that mineral whether there was life there Um, so there are certain bacteria that eat sulfur compounds and sometimes that sulfur will be carried into the minerals that also have sulfur in them so we sort of look for those signatures that flavor of life i guess in the sulfur minerals there so Okay, so like back to this alien life, earth life thing. Uh, are, are there differences uh, in what you might find? Um, you know, how would you know if, if you know, you're looking, dealing with extraterrestrial life evidence? That's a very good question, and I'm not the expert on that. But <laughs> so when we say we're looking for life on Mars, yeah. we don't expect to find aliens walking around on the surface. Like, yes, we're, because we're they'd be, they would be crawling, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, floating at this point. We would be very happy and hopeful just to find evidence for bacteria on Mars. And okay. that's it, when we when we say we want to find life, that's what we're looking for is evidence for bacteria. Okay. Of course. Um, whether it be fossils or whether it be um, preserved in these minerals, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, or possibly even just finding, because Mars is such a, a dry, cold planet now, if we can find um, these environments on Mars that had evidence for water, for example, we know the impact craters on Earth create these hot water circulating systems, these hydrothermal systems. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also looking for those environments and craters on Mars. And if we found if we found something like that, we would just be ecstatic yeah. because we know that they host life on Earth. So if there ever was life on Mars when these impact craters formed, then there's a very good chance that they would be preserved in those hydrothermal systems. Very cool. So, okay. So when you're talking about these hot water hydrothermal systems, um, is that something like the systems in like the the deep ocean with the hydrothermal vents and yeah. the, like black chimney smoking kind of things? Yeah, there. It's yeah, it's a very similar, um, very similar environment. The main difference between those systems and impact, the ones that we find in impact craters is that the ones in impact craters are very short-lived compared okay. to the ones on the surface or in the, on the bottom of the ocean. All right. Um, so if you can imagine, once the crater cools, you don't have... The, your heat source is gone. So, okay. Yeah. So, like, roughly how long do these, um, you know, impact crater hydrothermal sort of systems last? Um, so the ones that we are looking... It depends on the size of the crater. And that's actually a very good question. And there are people mm-hmm. dedicated just to 
finding that answer. Um, it's we we believe it's mostly determined by the size of the impact crater, okay. and also the composition of the melt. So if you can imagine different, you have different rocks on Earth, and if they melt, they're going to cool at different mm-hmm. rates. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a good question. The really really big ones, um, you know, like the Chicxulub crater. Possibly there's a couple other big ones in Canada. Um, could be a couple million to maybe five million years or so. Oh wow! So okay. it's they. It's just it depends. That's a very that's quite a broad range. Um, right. So, so when a, you're saying short time, that's like short geo that's, geological time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fairly short time geologically, but it is enough time for these systems to um, to be colonized by bacteria if they are present. Um, so okay. that's a very that's uh, that's a good question. So we're still we're still working on that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, so for the work you did in your masters, mm-hmm. and this was a crater in France. Yes. Uh, did you find any evidence? Like you were looking for the same sorts of things there, right? Yeah. So um, the crater in France that I worked on, I was looking at um, sulfur minerals. So, like I mentioned before, you can have different flavors of sulfur. Mm-hmm. Um, different isotopes of sulfur, stable isotopes. And I basically just looked at all the different sources of sulfur in that crater and then compared them. And then you can sort of pick out which processes, what geologic processes might have uh, resulted in in the the stable isotope signature of those minerals. And from that, we can sort of look for evidence of bacteria. Um, So we're hoping to do the same thing maybe in Chicxulub for my PhD, but with the addition of also picking out temperatures using different elements, so we'll we're sort of expanding that to different elements to get things on uh, information on temperature and salinity of the system, uh, pH from different minerals, different elements. So, yeah. <laughs> so, will is your research mainly requiring you to like visit the site and collect things and then? you know, uh, tinker around in the lab with some stuff or what's, what's your process? So, um, the project for my PhD, uh, the Chicxulub crater was drilled last year and, uh, they collected, um, quite a bit of core material from that. And that's been, scientists have just started working on that recently within the last few months. Um, so that was a very long process. Um, Mm -hmm. I was not involved in the direct collection of that material. Um, so they basically, they drilled the Chicxulub, the dinosaur killer impact, um, and we're going to look at a specific area of that crater to see if there's evidence. We think there will be evidence for these one of these hydrothermal systems or um, possibly life there as well, hopefully. Okay, and so, so you say you are looking at a specific area. How mm-hmm. do you know what area to look at? So the Chicxulub crater, the dinosaur killer, it's notorious for killing dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it was also a very large impact, and we know that there was water there as well. So with these big impacts, you can imagine there's a lot of heat sitting around, and other than killing the dinosaurs, one of the lesser known facts about Chicxulub is that it's the only impact crater that we know of for sure has what's called a topographic peak ring. Oh, cool. Which is um, a, it's something you only find in large craters that we know of so far. Um, and we can find them on other planets, but Chicxulub is the only one we know of for sure, 100% that has one on Earth. And it's basically an area of uplifted... Um, you can imagine craters generally tend to blow things up and scoop out. What most yeah, people so know it's like, it's a, like bowl a bowl shape. shape. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, it also sometimes um, can... That material can lift up as well. 
So there are different types of craters and different shapes and different sizes and stuff. So this particular one has an area of like crushed and fractured rock, which makes a really good area for water to circulate. Um, and it's been uplifted. Um, so we're hoping to find evidence in that area. So that's what they drilled. It's the first time we've drilled that area of that's a crater on Earth. Very so cool. Very fascinating. Hopefully, or hopeful. <laughs> it just started, so we'll nice. see what we find in the months to come. So what sort what you're getting samples from this site that they that mm-hmm. have been drilled up. Uh, what do these samples look like? <laughs> um rocks. They yep, they're rocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh different well there's different types. If you can imagine drilling through uh you know, this was a, a couple hundred or a few hundred kilometers. I think it was about uh 600 kilometers. Um they, you have different, you, you're going through different layers. Um, and actually, they weren't really sure. They had some ideas of what they might find there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are all kinds of different rocks there. Um, it's it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> um, they, they basically look like crushed up, uh, crushed up rocks, <laughs> if that makes any okay. sense. Melted, crushed up rocks. Um, and then some of them look more like what you might find, you know, walking outside granite, for example. Um, it's there's different types, different types of rocks there. So it's a little. I have to show you a picture, I guess. But <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, in terms of size, are they like giant pieces or like. Oh, so the core sort of itself is size? actually fairly small. Okay. Um, a lot of scientists want to get their hands on these rocks, so they right. Um, Split them up. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> sort of share the wealth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean. Uh, once you have these rocks, then what what do you do with them? How do you how do you study, you know, these core samples? Um, well, the first step for what I'm doing is to make what are called thin sections. So we basically mm-hmm. slice the rock up into tiny, tiny slices and polish them down um, and put them on a glass slide. So then we can look at them through a microscope. We can put them on really fancy microscopes uh, called a scanning electron microscope or a microprobe. Um, and look for certain things, look for dif- different elements and sort of see what the rock is made of. And um, that's that's basically the start. And from there, once we know what we have in the rocks, then we can sort of decide what to, where to go from there. Okay, so, so like what tests to run and so on, what yeah. you're looking for maybe? Yeah, so the first step is just to classify the rocks because, I mean, no one's looked at these rocks before. They've been buried for 65 million years. Wow. That's so, so we have to look at them first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, other than... The fact that it's really, really cool. Uh, what sort of drew you to this area of research? Um, well, I've always liked rocks as a kid. Okay. <laughs> I guess if you want to go that far back. Um, I And I liked planetary science, but I always thought that planetary science was sort of this elitist subject that you, only astronomy people and mathematicians and physicists were involved in but actually there's a lot of planetary science is, is geologists too so wow. when I found out I was like yes I can study space and also be a geologist that's awesome I was pretty I was pretty stoked so I went went for it um yeah so that's where I am okay so it sounds like you're working with um like teams of all sorts of different people with different specialties? Yeah. Um, so the the team that's working on this particular crater, the, mm-hmm. the dinosaur killer Chicxulub, um, is made up of biologists and physicists, uh, geophysicists and chemists. Um, it's just a huge... I mean, planetary science is 
so many different disciplines. It's not just you know astronomers and geologists. I mean, basically any subject that you study can somehow be related to planetary science. So it's a it's a very it's a pretty diverse team. Um, yeah. So I don't know everyone on the team. It's quite a large team, but I know it's 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 quite a it's chemists, physicists, biologists, astrobiologists, uh, geology, all kinds of different people. So. So you've always been into rocks, but has <laughs> finding life on or finding life in outer space been, you know, one of your lifelong interests as well? Or was this just kind um, of handed to you later in life? Well, my so I guess my master's project, the first thing, I, I wasn't planning to find evidence for life in that crater um, that I studied in France. But that's sort of where my project went. I was like, oh, look, there's a hydrothermal system in this crater. Oh, I wonder if, like, are these people are onto something. I wonder if I can find the same thing here. And that's sort of where it went. And then this project came up. My advisor was like, hey, do you want to work on this? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. It's <laughs> awesome. So, okay, well, you weren't looking for life when you were studying that, the, the crater in, in France. Then what were you looking for there? Well, so I, for my master's thesis, it, we sort of started out sort of looking for no one has really this crater was really understudied so mm -hmm. there's a lot of craters we haven't studied on earth oh, okay um so we wanted to one it's a very eroded crater um so we were sort of trying to figure out if we could pick apart where all these secondary because a lot of hydrothermal minerals like i mentioned with the hot water circulation can also form they can form under all kinds of different conditions so we sort of set out to say okay what what were the conditions in this crater after the impact and then we found these sulfur minerals that were everywhere. And we were like, oh my gosh, I wonder if these were formed from bacteria. I wonder if these can preserve evidence for life. So essentially, can we find evidence for life in really eroded craters? Um, and that's sort of what we set out to do. Which, so we started comparing all the different sulfur in the area of that crater. And we came together and found evidence for life in there. Cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. So you said um, a comet, or rather an asteroid, hit Russia in 2013. Yes. Are we able to predict, or is there some type of pattern with how frequent comets or asteroids hit Earth? Um, you just say we were overdue. We scared? <laughs> so, okay, I should, we're not overdue, I shouldn't say that. Um, the frequency... <laughs> no, the frequency with which these events happen is... It's short on a geologic time scale, but you have to remember humans have not been around that long. So we haven't. Yeah. So little ones like the um, the one the one in Russia was fairly small. I don't remember the dimensions exactly, but small ones hit the Earth all the time. But they usually hit the ocean or they just burn up in the atmosphere. You wouldn't even notice it. And then every once in a while, something a little bit bigger comes through, like the one that you know affected Russia. And then every once in a while, like hundreds of millions of years you might get a really big one but mm. that's not I mean we have we have teams of scientists dedicated just to monitoring those are called near earth asteroids mm -hmm. um, that's not my area of research but it's not something you should I don't think you should be worried about okay. it <laughs> that's helpful lots of yeah. more pressing matters yeah. I guess <laughs> okay and so we're nearing the end of our broadcast time and uh we like to ask some questions about, you know, our, our guests as, as people, okay. as, you know, very interesting, driven people outside of their work. So <laughs> you had mentioned uh, before that you were into scuba diving. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How did you get into scuba diving? Um, I actually, I started when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, 
and I was I've just always liked the ocean and it's just something that I got into I, I did my bachelor's on the coast of North Carolina mm-hmm. um, and I worked at a, a dive shop and we went out all the time on boat trips and we went to look for fossils so we collect big shark's teeth off the coast of North Carolina I've just always liked the water it's very relaxing and I guess it's a stark difference to what I do as a <laughs> PhD student exactly. so rocks and water it's nice to just um yeah that's that's just always been a hobby of mine I've always liked the ocean and the water so so you said you're, you're collecting you were collecting fossilized shark's teeth this is yeah the megalodon the, uh, megalodon teeth right? yeah the big big um big killer shark prehistoric killer shark right uh yeah actually people don't know that there's a lot of um of those fossil there's a lot of fossil beds off the east coast of the u.s okay um and people go out there we used to take people out on the boat to go collect those so they're about 30 to 40 meters underwater Mm -hmm. um and people go down there and just pick up like whale bones and shark's teeth and stuff and are are these just like lying on the sand at the bottom actually yeah they are some some of them are buried a little bit below the sand but I mean, you don't. If you imagine at that depth, you don't have very long. So you go down, and you're like, "Okay, I have ten minutes. I have fifteen minutes. Just run around and find as many <laughs> teeth as I can, and go back up." Cool. Wow. So, yeah. So, how many teeth do you have? Oh gosh, I have a lot. I've got maybe five <laughs> or six really big ones, but then I've got lots. When I say big, like yeah. dinner plate size, like wow. my hand, um, and I have a bunch of smaller ones. So, I miss that. Oh, I don't. Wow. I don't get to do that as much anymore. But, yep. That was, yeah. That's when's your next uh, venture out? You um, scuba diving. I don't know if I'm gonna go in Canada. It's pretty cold up here. <laughs> the water is pretty cold up here. Um, I don't know. I guess whenever. Yeah. I don't know when I'll be home again. So. Uh, well, do you think you'll you ever get a chance to visit the crater in Mexico? Because I hear there's good scuba diving out there. Uh, I could. I could write that in <laughs> as a uh, field. support. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, so the one in Mexico is actually buried underwater. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Maybe next time I get some holiday time, go somewhere else. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, as someone who likes rocks, do you have a favorite rock, favorite mineral? <laughs> Uh, so my favorite mineral is probably opal, which technically isn't a mineral, but um, oh cool. Okay, then what what is it? It's basically just a weird form of quartz, silica, and sometimes you get water and um, bio like algae and stuff in there. Sometimes you get some really strange stuff in opal, but it's so pretty. Nice. It's so yeah. What so, color is it? Every color of the rainbow. Oh, many <laughs> colors. Interesting. Yeah, you get all kinds of different different kinds. So depending on the minerals in there. Uh, yeah, it just depends on the inclusions and the structure. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. That's uh, thank you. That's I about all the time it. we have today. Oh, one last question: Do you have any sort of social media presence? Any sort of um, things uh, people can follow you on? I'm on Twitter, and also uh, if you're interested in the CPSX team here at Western, um, there's a website called Space Rocks. Um, <laughs> okay. And or you can just go to the Western site and look up CPSX. All so, right. Yeah. So Space Rocks. Thanks very much. This has been Gradcast, a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at University of Western Ontario. And Tristan's giving me weird faces. So good night and goodbye. Mm-hmm.